If you don't mind, I'm going to introduce some people before we get started. Uh, I do want to say that at any time, I think it's at any time, where are you, Shantae? Are you back there? At any time that people need, if you need one-on-one counsel, we've got a team. Will y'all all stand up? These are our mental health practitioners. They've got name tags on. We will have rooms set up that you can go and get with them one-on-one or in a small group if you want. Um, we also have some chaplains here from Billy Graham. They're in blue. Uh, so if it's spiritual support, as well as uh, our pastors here and some of our staff would be glad to, to minister with you. Um, also in the very back are some therapy dogs, and you can approach those dogs. Uh, please feel free. If you're uncomfortable with those, then just let the, the handlers know, and they'll make sure that they're sensitive to you. Um, but I'm not going to talk about the event tonight. I'm going to let the speaker tell us this, but bear with me. Uh, th- this, uh, this young man back here behind me has a lot, has a lot going on in his uh, forte. So Dr. John Averett, Ph.D., holds doctorate degrees from both Vanderbilt University in Nashville and the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. He's a licensed psychologist designated as a health service provider in Tennessee, has been in practice private practice in Cookville uh, since 81, 1981. He now works as a psychological hosp- works as a psychological hospitalist at Cookville Regional. He recently retired sergeant with the Cookville Police Department, continues to work for the department as a police psychologist. Current duties includes training, working with the crisis negotiation team, and consulting with internet crimes against children unit and also serves as a psychological hospitalist, I mentioned that, served on the governor's methamphetamine task force and specializes in addictionology, treatment of depression and anxiety, traumatology, and the treatment of sexual predators. So if y'all don't mind, please give Dr. John Averett a big warm welcome. Thank you, Paul. And all the people that put this together this is a lot of work. And I appreciate the fact that someone helped me park and find a parking place and all the snacks and all the food that's available. Uh, we're all here because we've been through something together. Uh, this storm that hit was the most powerful storm in Putnam County that's ever hit the state of Tennessee in F4. And we're here because we've experienced trauma together. Some of you here have lost loved ones or friends, family. Some of you here because you lost property. Some of you here because you know people that have been through that. Some of you here just because your community has been affected. You're here because you've experienced trauma. This is trauma. So tonight, I hope we can offer you a chance to talk about it if you wish. But before we start, I want to tell you just a few things about trauma. By the way, we have some veterans here. I'm a veteran in the back. If you're a veteran and you want to talk to a vet, we have some people in the back that you can talk to as well. So this congregation wants to meet your needs. Didn't just come for, for a lecture. You came to have your needs met. We can't know what your needs are unless you let us know. I've done six. This is my sixth debriefing since uh, Wednesday morning. And I've had some people come to their briefings because somebody drugged them in. They didn't want to come. They didn't want to talk. That's okay. You can just listen. 
But I hope, hopefully you'll learn something about you and about dealing with trauma. That's what this is all about. Let me start about telling about my father. In 1953, my dad bought a Hudson. Probably you don't even know what a Hudson is. Four-door tan Hudson. He saved and paid cash for it. He thought it was the best car ever made. I remember him saying it was perfect. In 1965, there were no Hudson dealerships. And the guy he got to work on it told him, this car is trashed. You've got to replace it. I remember, I was a kid. He said, no, we've got to fix this car and keep it going. It had no air conditioner. You know, he said, you roll down the windows and go fast. That's how you... Keep cool. So in 1965, when his mechanic said, I can't buy the parts, I can't find the parts, we've got, to, we've got to trash this car. My dad was devastated. To say my dad was a traditionalist is an understatement. So he sold it for trash for 50 bucks. I don't know what he paid for it. He went out and bought a brand new, he called it a newfangled, 1965 Ford. He was quite pleased with the fact that it had an air conditioner and a radio. His husband didn't have that. And all of a sudden, it was the perfect car. He died in 1973. He still had that 65 Ford. My dad was into perfection, but once he decided something was perfect, he wouldn't let go of it. It's human nature to want perfection. Now, if you buy a phone, people want the perfect phone. This is a three-year-old iPhone. I refuse to buy a new one. It's my dad. But the way the iPhones work is you buy the latest model, which they say has got all these features. I don't use half of them. And then a year or two later, they've got a new iPhone they want you to buy that costs new. It's, it costs a lot more. We can chase perfection. We want the perfect watch, the perfect car, the perfect bass boat. I'm not into bass boats, but I hear about it. The perfect whatever. And if things aren't perfect, we're disappointed. We want the perfect house. We want the perfect whatever until something comes along like this storm. And it can just, in a wisp, take away whatever we have. I met people the other night, Tuesday night, actually Tuesday morning very early, it seemed like night, that lost everything. They had the clothes on the back. One man came in the emergency room. I got there at 4 o'clock in the morning. All he had was a T-shirt, his underwear, and two shoes that weren't even his. He just found them in the street. That's all he had, nothing else. He lost everything. And we're not used to even thinking that way. Now, we see it on TV all the time. We're immune to it because we see it all the time. But when it happens to us, our friends, our neighbors, all of a sudden it becomes real. I tell a lot of people in therapy, I've told them over the years, we have lots of choices, but perfection is not a choice for us today. Because if you try to make perfection a choice, you are going to fail. A minister told me, once, there's only been one perfect person ever in existence, and we killed him. 
We don't have perfection in this world. And when we have our new iPhone or our new iWatch, whatever that watch is called, or our new cars, or our laundry devices destroyed, or we see our friends and neighbors' house destroyed, or we know people that died, and probably everyone in here knows someone that died last Tuesday morning. Or we know someone that knows someone that died. It shocks us. We're not ready for it. Perfection is not a choice for us today. People do strange things when we have our lives changed. I meet people every day in the hospital when they have something bad happen to them who want to blame someone. They get injured, they have a car crash, whatever, and they want to blame someone. It's their brother or sister. I had a woman in just this last week and she was going to lose her third child because she came in with an overdose. She was pregnant. And Children's Services is going to take this child away when she delivers it. But it wasn't her fault. She blamed everybody. And it tends to be a little bit of human nature. And I've heard people wanting to blame God for this storm. So I'm going to read a passage in which God talks about this. You may not recognize the version. It's in 1 Kings. That's been, it's, preachers have been talking about it all week. It's been in the paper. If you don't know it, you should know it. Because every time there's a major disaster, the preachers talk about it. It's, it was written by Jeremiah. It's in, it's in 1 Kings, what we call 1 Kings. The Hebrew Bible doesn't have a 1 and 2 Kings. But in 1 Kings... Chapter 19, starting about verse 11 and thereafter. You remember the context. There was David, the great King David, and his son Solomon. And Solomon built the first temple. And the Jews were doing so well. But after Solomon, toward the end of Solomon's life, things started falling apart. A whole series of kings, and they turned away from God. Northern kingdom didn't do well, then the southern kingdom, Judah. And then it came time for Jezebel. And remember in Hebrew, there is no J, so her name was actually Ishabel. And Isaiah was a prophet, and things were not going well for the prophets. So Isaiah ran away. He ran away to the wilderness, in the mountain, in the cave. And God passed by. Come out, he called. And stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord passed by. And there was a great and mighty wind. Now this wasn't an ordinary wind. Splitting mountains. Shattering rocks. By the power of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake fire but the Lord was not in the fire after the fire a soft whispering or murmuring sound we translated it different ways when Elijah heard it he wrapped his mantle cloak however you want to translate that around his face and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice answered him why are you here Elijah why have you run away text goes on Lord told him to go back the way he came and to go back and prophesy the Lord wasn't in the wind. 
We live in an imperfect world. No, they'll never make a perfect iPhone. They'll never make one. They don't want to make a perfect iPhone. They want you to buy the next model. They'll never make a perfect car or washing machine. Perfection is not a choice for us today. If you try to choose perfection, you are guaranteed to fail. We live in an imperfect world. We're here. I don't mean to get preachy on you because I'm not a preacher. I'll leave that to the professionals. We're here to look forward to another world. If we had perfection here, we wouldn't be looking forward to another world. Storms are going to happen, but God doesn't make the storms. God did not send this F4 tornado to Putnam County to punish anybody. Those people that live out west of Cookville, they weren't being punished. We live in an imperfect world that has natural consequences of the imperfection. And earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and fires and hailstorms just happen because this is an imperfect world. So there's no one to blame. We don't need to get a committee together and go out and find the person that caused this that God was trying to punish. I'll leave that to the pastor to give you the spiritual guidance about that. But I believe that with the bottom of my heart. There is no one to blame. The other thing people do is they tend to feel guilty. They feel guilty because they have what's called survivor guilt. I'm not going to use any big shrink words here, but... A lot of us have survivor guilt. What has happened to those people and not me? Now, I've been out there. If you've got a cop badge, you can go out there. And if you'll notice at the West Triangle, when you get to go out, the Migliori houses, the two big, beautiful brick houses, are gone. The house right next to it, to the east, is partially there. It took the western part of the house... Second floor, second floor and first floor. Because the tornado right there lifted up. The old Dipsy Doodle is gone. The gas station right there, you'll be able to see it if you go out there. You can go out there now today. Uh, the part of the gas station is tipped over and then there's no more damage beyond that. Why'd that tornado lift up there? I, I don't know. Tyler Smith will tell you that an F0 tornado intersected with the F4 and blew it up. I'll take that. If it hadn't, and that thing had come two more miles, it hit the hospital or Tennessee Tech or downtown. I don't know. I'm not a weatherman. And people say, well, why did it hit those people out there and not me? Why those children and not mine? I don't know. I can't answer that. Many people are asking why. And we don't have the answers. The experts don't have the answers. The ministers don't have the answers. Because we don't know why. But many people feel survivor guilt. I talked to a woman that we discharged from the hospital today from Indiana. Who came down a day early. And when she walked in the ER... She came in. We didn't know her back was broken at the time. She said to me over and over and over, I did everything I was supposed to do. She gathered her family together in a closet, got on top of them, which is what she's always done in Indiana every time there was a tornado warning. And the house blew away. Her family and the dog were fine. She had a beam come down and hit her back and break her back. And she didn't understand why. I did everything I was supposed to do, she said. 
She, she survived. She's alive. She had an operation. Has to go to rehab. But she couldn't understand if she did everything she was supposed to do, why she broke her back. No one's to blame. Those of us that are here tonight and are alive, are we struggling with guilt feelings? It's, it's normal and common. I think the most important thing I can say to you in my brief remarks before we get on with this, you are having, whether you are in it, close to it, totally out of it, and you're having feelings, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal event. That's critical to take home with you. In my now six debriefings, hospital staff, uh, first responders, uh, some people that were at various places trying to make all this come together, uh, injured people in the hospital, the people that came that were on these 68 beds or in the east lobby that we set up suddenly, they were having, and you were having, whatever your experience, a normal reaction to an abnormal event. I've done, I don't know how many debriefings in my life. I started doing debriefings with police officers back in the late 70s, early 80s. And they experience it. So, well, I've seen it on TV. I'll talk to you about that in just a minute. Normal reaction to an abnormal event. We are hit on three levels, at least. The physical level, our stomachs might be upset. Children in particular have that phenomenon. We might feel a little dizzy, might not be able to sleep. Normally we sleep fine. All of a sudden we can't sleep. We're hit on a, an emotional level. Initially we might feel shock. I did when I walked in that ER at four in the morning. I'll tell you about that. And we're hit on a spiritual level. Surely the God I know couldn't do this to us, to my friends. We even question God. Characters in the Bible question God. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal event. There's a solution for it. I'll get to that at the end. We're having grief. The body was created. Our bodies, spiritual, physical, and emotional bodies were created to have grief. Grief is normal, but it's not something that goes away like on TV. People all the time watch police shows and one of the cops gets shot. At the end of the show, their arm's in a sling. I don't know why their arm's always in a sling when they get shot in the belly. I don't know about that. The next episode, they're like, nothing happened. That's not right. Police officers often get shot and never work as a cop again. Grief takes time. It is a process. Everybody grieves differently. You will grieve differently than your spouse or your neighbor, certainly differently than your child or your mother or your uncle or your aunt or your neighbor, particularly your neighbor. Healing, grief is healing. And we will grieve and heal differently. And I'll talk about how to do that in a minute. In order to grieve, you have to feel. I don't mean to quote Freud here, but he said some, part, he said some smart things. He said them in German, by the way. One of the things he said is, you cannot heal what you will not feel. 
I could say it in German, it wouldn't make any sense. Didn't say it quite that neatly. You cannot heal what you will not feel. Now, in my experience, women are better than feeling, I hate to be stereotypic here, than men. I talked to a lot of guys since last Tuesday morning, even last Tuesday morning. Well, I'm fine. I'll get over it. I don't need any help. Some of the guys drug into my debriefings on Wednesday morning, sat over there with their arms crossed, turned away from me. I, they work for the hospital. I got to pick on them. Hey, Joe, Bob, Bill, whatever. What are you doing? I'm fine. I don't need to be here. Why are you here? My boss said I had to come. Really? Some women, but mostly men. Did you sleep last night? No, I didn't sleep. Why not? I don't know. Just couldn't get to sleep. Couldn't turn it off. Because they were in the process of grieving. And they were trying to turn off the process of grieving by saying they were tough. Now, we didn't see anything in the ER. None of them did that we hadn't seen before. It was just so much of it crammed together. Got there at 4 o'clock. We already had 68 beds set up there in the lobby, the eastern lobby. They were full of people. And they were hurting. They had injuries. About 7, I would say, I'm not sure of the time, it kind of lightened up. And we all took this, whew, that's all. That wasn't right. About five minutes later, they started coming in again. They came in again until about four o'clock, maybe five, I'm not sure. Just kept coming. And we just didn't know if it was ever going to stop. Ambulances, people bringing people in cars. When they went out there with the emergency equipment about three, whenever it was, 2.30, all the vehicles got flat tires because of the debris. They had to send out a company out there to fix all the flats. That held them up getting in a little bit. So healing means feeling, and that means talking about it. People need to know what's normal. Whatever you're feeling is normal. What do we feel? We feel fear. All right, so what's the weather forecast for tomorrow evening? Severe thunderstorms, possibilities of tornadoes. That's scary to hear, isn't it? All these good folks over here, that's what they do. They're professional listeners. They're not here to condemn anybody. They're going to tell you the same thing. Oh, you're feeling that? Well, that's normal. Fear is normal. Anger is normal. What do we do when we feel powerless? We often feel angry. Who are you going to be angry at? God didn't make this happen. It's just a natural course of events. Well, but anger is normal. Fear, anger, sadness, grief. Maybe you knew someone who died or was seriously hurt. One of our people from the hospital is down in intensive care in Chattanooga. We all know and love him. He took a turn for the worse today. That's like getting stabbed in the gut all over again. Whatever feeling you're having, everyone in here is a unique person in terms of their healing. We just want someone we can trust. We thought we could trust the city of Cookville not to have a tragedy like this. Oh, they can have them in Guatemala, wherever that is. Where's Guatemala? I don't know, down there somewhere. Maybe they can have them in Indiana. 
That's where tornadoes happen, right? Indiana? Isn't that the tornado capital of the world? Not in Cookville. One couple bought a brand new car on Monday. And now it's destroyed. They weren't even sure it was insured. Turns out it is. I explained that to them. Another couple had just moved into a new house. It's not here anymore. There's a slab. People went into their closets or their, quote, safe space that wasn't a safe space. How can they ever feel safe again? It's a process. Well, let me talk about talking. That means you talking, not me talking. Listening is good to get information, but it doesn't, it doesn't help you process the grief. I don't know why you're here. I'm glad you're here, but I don't know why. Who can you talk with? Well, mostly we talk with people that we feel like have been there. You called your Aunt Judy in New York. I hope you don't have an Aunt Judy in New York who doesn't know anything about tornadoes. Maybe she, they've never been to, in a tornado. But it's best to talk to people who kind of been through it. So the hospital people are all talking to each other because they've been through it together. The first responders are talking to each other. They've been through it together. The police are talking to each other. They've been through it together. The EMS people, the, the people that are out there putting back the electrical, electrical connections are talking to each other. I don't know what your experience is, but find someone you feel like you can talk to that you can trust and talk to them. Oh, but people get tired of listening to it. Oh, really? You know that for sure? People are saying, oh, I'm tired of talking to you. I'm tired of listening to you. People have been through it. Don't get tired of talking. I've been talking a lot about my experience. The three keys to healing are talking, talking, and talking. So before we ask you if you want to say something, I'll tell you about my experience. I live on Buck Mountain. The alarm went off. The, you know, the dogs, we have two retired police dogs. They go crazy. And they woke us all up. And then the alarm went off. And we went to our safe place, as it turns out. And in F4, it wouldn't have been safe. And we heard all the rain and the thunder and the lightning. You know, all that happened. And then it got better. And I thought, hey, I wasn't so bad. As I was getting ready to go back to bed, I got a text on my phone. It says, all hospital personnel report to the uh, hospital, 40-plus patients showing up, code yellow. Now, to tell you the truth, we've had so many code yellow trainings at the hospital. They're, they're not very exciting. We have patients come in that we know that aren't injured. They have fake blood and stuff on them, and they're kind of laughing. They're tech students usually. And we sort of pretend to take care of them and send them to ICU or surgery or whatever their fake injuries are. We've done this so many times. I'll never take another one of those, not seriously. So I put my scrubs on and I got in the car and I drove into town. Coming from the east side, there was no problem. When I got to the parking lot that I sit in and I got out, I walked in the A parking lot. Security had it all blocked off. They were towing cars so helicopters could land. And I walked up to one of the security guards. I've done all their psych evals, so I know them very well. They said, we're in code yellow. I mean, really? Code yellow? See, my mind was kind of in denial. I walked past them, and the security guard, who I know really well, demanded to see my badge to let me in. Don't you know who I am? I don't care, doc. I got to see your badge. Okay. I walked into the lobby, and there were 70 beds in the east lobby, temporary beds, temporary beds. 
And they were all full. So I walked in the ER, and it was organized chaos. There were nurses there that didn't belong. They were all working together. Everybody was handling everything the best they could. They had more doctors than you could throw a stick at. And then I sort of figured out what was going on, and I went to work. That was about 4 in the morning. We worked 12 hours in there. We stopped all surgery, all special procedures. We didn't do anything but take care of the people that came in. It said we admitted 80. I think those are just the ones that we could do the paperwork on. I think about 150 people showed up, actually. And we couldn't send anybody to Nashville because 70 and 40 were blocked. Couldn't get a helicopter here from Vanderbilt, so helicopters came from the east. We had three helicopters in the, uh, in the parking lot and on a helipad at one time. Finally, the Vanderbilt guys showed up. I don't know how they got there. And they said, we'll take anything you got. Erlinger said the same thing. That never happens. And so we started seeing dead bodies. Finally, one of our doctors who's in charge of EMT said, I'm just going to go out there and start pronouncing people on the scene once we realized we had a lot of people dying. And they sent them to the morgue, which is near here. They told families to come here. There was some confusion. And by going to work, I kind of got over the shock. But it was a horrific scene. I talked to a lot of people, like the lady broke her back. She didn't know, know her back was broken. Who kept saying over and over, I did everything I could do. Met a lady who'd lost her children. Met another family. I talked to them. They got spread and everybody lived. They found them. Uh, Robert Dixon, our IT director, who I didn't even know who he was. It just went on and on and on. And by going to work, uh, it just kind of passed. Because I've been in lots of traumatic situations. Now, I have a lot of feelings about that. But as we talk, probably the first thing that's best to do if we had some guidelines is just talk about what the facts are, how you got involved if you were. And then we can come back and maybe talk about the feelings after we've kind of talked about the facts. So maybe we can turn the lights up and uh, maybe we can get some microphones. If anybody wants to tell about what your experience was, the facts about that, we can kind of go on with this debriefing. Remember, the key is to talk. Anybody want to talk about what happened? Okay, good. Thank you. Since you mentioned the Migliori Mansion, I live in Broadway Apartments right behind the mansion. I watched cars flying that last <clears throat> that night. And that's something I'll never forget. Um, the fire department, one of the guys said it was the cars from Williams Auto. And literally, I stepped out on my balcony and I'm like, there's cars flying above me. And how can you get over the roar, the sound? And ever since then, I can still hear the roar in my ears. It's like you'll never get over that. So. I can understand why, why people are grieving so much because uh, the few of us, I mean, we didn't get serious, you know, damage to the apartments. We got some damage, but when you looked around and saw those two houses that were completely destroyed right there beside us, everyone there is questioning, why were we spared? We were literally 50 feet from it and our apartments were spared. That's, that's something to think about. Okay, did everybody hear what he said? 
he was in a place where there was a lot of destruction around him, but his personal place was not so damaged. He saw cars passing by him. And he wants to know how he, he had the roar. Now, when you see something, when you hear about something, it can be traumatic to hear about something. It can be traumatic to see a picture of it on TV. But to experience it firsthand, all your senses are involved. Not true if you hear about it. Not true if you see it on TV. But to experience it personally, every sense is involved. He talked about that. How to get over that. And then he also mentioned the guilt, the survivor guilt I talked about. Well, you talk about it. You get with people who've been through it. You talk to your neighbors maybe that also survived. You know, I think what people need, pardon me if I go back to preaching for just a minute. You can interrupt me if I go too far. I think people need a community. Now, personally, I go to church every Sunday. I try to go on Wednesday nights when they have services. I'm involved in two Bible studies, one with a bunch of cops. Now, that's interesting. Tuesday morning at Chick-fil-A at 6.30, and I go to a men's Bible study on Monday at 7. And uh, I love going to Bible studies. They're all men. Uh, women would probably straighten us out a lot faster if we had women, but we just work with men. And we have come to know each other as brothers in these two settings. And they're both led by ministers, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just going and I'm going to be fed. But we've talked about this in both of those Bible studies since Tuesday. And everybody there's had a different experience. Uh, last Wednesday night, I was doing a debriefing. I didn't get to go. But where I worship, they had 500 people show up. They normally have less than 100. 500 people showed up because they wanted to come. I think they had something here last week. You had something, most of the churches had something. I think becoming a chart, maybe you already are, of a church fellowship is so critical. Many churches have small groups where people get together and talk about whatever's going on. Uh, that's critically important. Now, remember I said it's important to talk to people that you can trust, maybe people that have been there. So find people that have been through what you've been through and talk about it. Let them talk about it. Hearing their stories, even though they may not be the same as yours, is helpful. You lived. Now, I'm not an expert on tornadoes, but the anatomy of a tornado is very important. I took the storm spotter class a number of years ago. For some reason, the chief wanted us all to have that. And so a tornado, that wind is moving 175 miles an hour. If you're on the right-hand side of it looking down, it's moving faster because the progression of the tornado is 35 or 40 miles an hour faster. This one was moving 60 miles an hour. You had 60 miles an hour to 175, you got pretty high winds. If you're on the right-hand side, it's going to be faster if you're on the left-hand side. That's why some buildings are spared and some are lost. I heard a man say just last week in the hospital, God reached down and he destroyed my neighbor's house, but didn't my. No, God didn't do that. Remember kings. That's the nature and the physics of it. The tornado does more damage on the right-hand side than, and maybe you're on the left-hand side. I don't know. You're on the left-hand side. So that's maybe why it happened. We have to work on the guilt pe that people feel and the sadness people feel about what happens to their neighbors. 
I doubt your neighbors are saying, boy, those people over there, they should have got it, not me. They're not saying that. It's what we do to ourselves. And we have to talk about it. So it's really important what you did today by saying that. And you have to keep praying. If you're a praying man, I hope you are. I think prayer is very powerful. You just have to work with people. Identify people who have been there. And there are people in the community who are in the same situation you're in. Um, you know Clemens Road? I was on Clemens Road, I think it was Wednesday. My days are all falling together. There's a brick house on Clemens Road that looks like nothing happened to it. And I know the person who lives there. She works at the hospital. Whereas all her neighbor's houses are gone. You walk out of her house and there's no houses near it. Why did that happen? Again, I don't know. We keep asking the question, why? If I could know why, I'd feel better. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. With crimes often in police work, we want to know why something happened. Sometimes we actually find out why. But I haven't, people, I haven't heard people say, well, okay, now I know, and they feel better. I don't know that why really does help us a lot. It just happens. So keep talking, and keep talking, and keep talking. And if you feel like people don't want to listen anymore, find some other people to talk to. The talking is not for them, it's for you. Now, we'll say this. Some people love to hear stories so they can go spread them and embellish them. Those aren't people you can trust. Find people you can trust to talk to. That's, thank you for bringing that up. It's wonderful. You, you want to say any more? I don't want to cut you off. Okay. Anybody else? Sure, there's some more people here that want to. have somebody else? Yes. So I woke up, we live in Gainesboro. I woke up Tuesday morning. We had no power. We had no cell phones. Had no idea what happened because we watched what Netflix and went to bed. So we, we had no idea what happened and it never occurred to me to go sit in my car and listen to the news. So when I left the house to go to work, I looked at my husband and I said, honey, if this is Armageddon, I love you. And if it's not, I'll see you tonight. And I went to work, and when I was partway to work, I heard the news, and I texted him, which, of course, he didn't get the message. And the next text I got was that he was here. So on my lunch break from work, I left. I went to Walmart. I bought drinks and snacks and, and stuff and left it here, and I went back to work. Why is this so impactful to me? Why am I not sleeping? Why am I so stressed out? Why can I not have a calm thought? It didn't, it didn't affect me. Zero damage to my house, zero damage to my office. Nobody I know, you know, nobody I know lost a family member, lost a home, lost anything. Why, why is this bothering me so much? Okay. Did you hear a question? Why is she so, so stressed out when it didn't happen to her directly? Again, I'm trying to not to use shrink terms, but there is a shrink term called vicarious trauma. Uh, many of us had it after 9-11. And we weren't in New York. We weren't anywhere near a, a plane crashing into buildings or into the ground. But many of us felt the same kind of trauma even though we weren't there. It's called vicarious. Vicarious just means uh, projected or indirect trauma. So... It happened to people in Nashville. I heard some people talking on the news who didn't live anywhere near where tornado damage was. 
but they felt it as just you did. So some people are very empathic. That is, they tend to feel what other people are feeling. It's different than sympathy. It's not sympathy. We're not, sympath we're not sympathetic. We're empathetic. And my guess is, if I were to put you on my other side of my table and test you, you'd come up with a very high empathy scale. That is, you feel, and probably many people in this, in this room feel, empathy for those that we know or people that are our near neighbors. And we see over and over on TV, we don't have any really young children here, right? I could talk about this. We tend to empathize with our neighbors, the people right near us, even though it didn't happen to us. And so we then experience the trauma they experience vicariously, indirectly. And that's why I think you felt that way. We say something about young children. Um, I'm going to say this pretty generically. One thing we found out about after recent trauma events, and 9-11 is a good example. When a young child, I'm talking about five, six, four, three, sees a trauma event, like perfect example is the planes crashing into the towers. They see it one time. There's nothing wrong with that. As a parent, it's good to take a child to explain what's happened. They don't need to be sheltered from that. But what they see it over and over and over and over again, the child of that age thinks it's happening over and over and over and over again. So for young children, it's important to turn off the TV. Now, we didn't see the tornadoes, but we did see the damage. And every time a young child sees the damage showing up again, they tend to think it's happening again. One of our doctors, uh, who's a phenomenal stitcher, he stitched for about 12 hours, went home to his young son, who's five, and he said, Daddy, how many times did the tornadoes hit today? Because in his mind, he saw it over and over and over, the damage, thinking the tornadoes hit over and over and over and over again. So I've talked to him, that doctor today, who's, he called me and said, my little one saw the forecast for tomorrow night. Thunderstorms, possible hail, possible tornadoes. And he's afraid they're going to hit over and over and over and over. Now you and I as adults, we understand we're just, and we have a fascination with this stuff. We want to see the damage again and again. They may show the same scene again and again and again. That's the nature of human beings. And we sort of understanding and want to identify with the trauma. We can't get enough of it in our brains. But for your very young children, if they want to see it once, fine. But then turn off the television. Yes, sir. Let me get to the mic to you, sir. Since you mentioned that in children, I have a therapy dog at home. Uh -huh. And ever since last week, any noise, he jumps. Yeah. So it's animals as well as kids that think that are doing that too. Yeah, a good point about dogs. Now, I have two retired police dogs that are pretty amazing. And they were in licking our faces. That's what they're trained to do. Uh, if someone comes around the house, then we live out in the boonies. We don't have anybody come around our house. They'll come in and lick our faces and wake us up. They could tell the change in the pressure, barometric pressure. 
So we were already awake. They don't ever wake us up to go out and be. They're trained not to do that. They know how to hold it. So we knew. Helena and I knew before. And then it was maybe five minutes later the, the alert went off. So we were already up. We trust our dogs, believe me. I'm not afraid of being gone at night because I hate to see what happened if anybody tries to break in my house at night. And train, you know, Lane's well trained with a gun. But those dogs would tear them up. But they alerted us. How, how did your, you guys have therapy dogs? Did they wake up? Did they wake you up? <laughs> wow. Well, that kills my story. <laughs> People that know me tell you I won't. Um, we live south of 40. We live about four miles down Burgess Falls. Um, we were one of the very, very, very fortunate ones. No, no phone alert, no weather alert. Like I said, the dogs who are afraid of thunderstorms slept all the way through it. Um, all we got was rain. Um, so you may not have had that intense drop in pressure. Absolutely. Um, uh, I actually woke up at 4 a.m. Uh, my son in Nashville texted me to see if we were okay. And I rolled over and looked at my phone, laid it back down on the, the nightstand, and uh, then my phone just simply blew up. All the, all the young guys that work with and for me um, were calling to check in. That's our, uh, we call it a battle drill, and that's our drill. And they were all checking in with me and checking on me. And... Um, uh, that's when I realized something had happened. And I went in and turned, uh, I still had power. Um, I went in and turned the news on and, and saw what was going on. Um, so we were, we were very, very fortunate. Um, I got dressed, ran into the armory. We got things started um, trying to prepare. We knew eventually something would come to us. And so we tried to kind of prepare for that. Um, but what, what really I wanted to talk about was I met, uh, I met a brother today, a um, guy that makes the same, used to make the same uh, money I make. He's, uh, he's an Army Sergeant Major, so those of you that have been in the military know that there's kind of a tough guy persona, you know, the Clint Eastwood and, uh, you know, kind of stuff uh, that, that we kind of, some of us, kind of play that, some of us don't. Um, but uh, he had recently moved here, um, I guess they've been here a few years, um, from Fort Hood, he retired out of the Army, done multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so he'd, see, he'd seen a lot. Um, he has a hard time letting go, a lot of us do, that, that do what we do for a living. Um, and I would, I would tell you, if you know somebody like that, the best thing you can do is listen. Um, you know, the, the military, we have a little bit of gallows humor, so we kid with each other and call each other names and, and different things like that, just to kind of poke at, at one another to get things out. And, and, um, he, and uh, he and his three children um, uh, are all kids in the school system, uh, he, his wife, and three children made it. Their dogs made it. His, uh, his service animal, his service dog, is suffering from a little bit of PTSD. 
she took um, debris to the ears and the face, and the doctors had to extract that. So anytime there is a loud noise now, she reacts to it. So he's kind of struggling with that. Um, but I will tell you, if you can listen, and, and one thing that, that I was told uh, two weeks ago during a medical exam was, leave your man card at home. And, and that's, that's something you might have to tell some people. Hey, leave your man card at home and, and open up and, and uh, talk and listen. And that was, um, to me, uh, that did me a world of good. And I know it did a world of good to, with him. Um, one thing, the, the thing that, that uh, caused us to meet, um, uh, I'm a cavalry soldier. Uh, or I'm in a cavalry unit. Um, we wear the cowboy hats and the big boots. Um, and he was a cavalry soldier. His Stetson, which is his black cowboy hat, was missing. It was the only thing that he cared about. It was, it was a, the Stetson was given to him by somebody who was uh, one of his friends who's no longer with us. Um, and so it was a prized possession. Uh, so we found out about it. Uh, I took a picture of my Stetson, put it on Facebook, and that was last night at about 6 o'clock, and this morning at about 6 o'clock someone had found it. And we were able to get it back to him. Uh, a little worse for wear, uh, but we cleaned it up and gave it to him. That's how we met, and that's uh, uh, how his story started. And we, we were able to... Through the hat, through the Stetson, we were able to get him to talk and kind of open up uh, about those things. So if you find something, if you've got somebody in your life that, that struggles with that and, and doesn't talk much or is too macho to admit it, um, find something. Find something that means something to them. Uh, and that's, that's just All right. uh, Thank what you. we did. And I will tell you, there's no better town to be in than this town. I will tell you. Having lived all over the world, this is it. This is the town to be in. I was going to say on the, at the end, I'll just go ahead and say it now. If someone is trying to talk to you, the best thing you can do is listen. Don't give advice. Don't educate them unless they ask for it. And it's hard for us to do is just sit there and listen. I have a policy when I go into a hospital room, which I do 10, 15 times a day. I always find a chair. I have medical students that round with me on Tuesdays, not last Tuesday, of course. And I'll just go in and I'll find a chair and I'll sit down and be as relaxed as I can be. And I'll just sit and listen. Sometimes, particularly with men, not always just with men, it takes a long time for people to start talking. Most everybody I see has had some kind of trauma. Because people expect for them to say five words and then for the doctor to start lecturing them. And I don't do that. Uh, and so you need to talk and you need people that will be willing to listen and not give advice. If I do give advice in a situation like this, I will usually say, now I have a recommendation or two if you're interested. If they say, yeah, I'm interested, then I'll try to give a recommendation or two. But people need to talk more than they need for you to tell them what the answer is. People have been through trauma. Who else has something they might want to say? Everybody here's got a story. 
or you wouldn't be here. Well, we've been an hour. I don't want to take any more of your time if you don't want to talk. That's okay. We do have the counselors here. We have spiritual leaders here. And we have veterans back here. I'm a veteran. I'd be glad to talk. And they have, Pastor Paul has made some rooms available back there to talk one-on-one. It's perfectly fine if you have some things you want to talk about individually. That's fine. Just let me urge you, don't hold this stuff in. You may think, well, it's insignificant. Nothing is insignificant. Nothing. I don't care if you think it's a silly little thing. Nobody else is going to think it's significant. That's not true. Find yourself a support group. If you're looking for a church home, I'll bet you you guys can help them find a church home, kids. Yeah. And now you know how to get here. You've never been here before. Uh, find yourself a place where you can feel comfortable where there's someone that can listen. And whatever your questions are, if you don't have a question, you just want to talk about it, we've got some people over here that are well-trained who are good listeners. And if you want advice about how to deal with something, then you ask them. Say, I need some advice. They'll, they'll have an answer for you. If they don't have the answer, they'll find the answer. But the important thing is, remember, you, whatever your reaction is, how trivial you may think it is, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Now, I moved here one day, I moved to Cookville, one day before the 1974 tornado. I moved here April 2nd. That was April 3rd, 1974. Ten people were killed in Putnam County in that tornado. I wasn't on the hospital staff then. Uh, just had the biggest rejection of my life. I wanted to go to biblical archaeology school. I went to Hebrew Union University. I spoke Hebrew. I did the interview in Hebrew. And I was told I was no bright and shining star. That's how they rejected me. The rabbi, the professor did. So I got, a, I got into Vanderbilt to do my first doctorate at Vanderbilt. Moved to Cookville because I had a job here. And the next day, they had a tornado down south of town. Some of you remember that. And that was an F. Three tornado killed 10 people. The reason so many people died here is this was an F4, the most powerful tornado ever recorded in the state of Tennessee. The, not just the houses were gone, the, found, the, the wooden foundation was taken up if you go out there. Chances are we'll never have another one. But I can't say that. I don't know. But if you don't talk about it, whether you had vicarious trauma or personal trauma, lost people you know, those 18 people, a lot of people knew them. We had one staff member of the hospital killed, another one may die. We don't know, he's not looking very good. You know people who are hurt, lost their homes, who are hurting, all those people. You can't rent a house in Cookville right now today. All the rent houses are gone. All those people have found someone. Half are living with relatives. What I heard from Tyler Smith, the other half of rented places. So there's going to be a big cleanup. It's going to take a long time. Becky's probably going to do some stuff on. We are, we are doing it so watch Channel 22. Becky McGurr is going to take care of that. And get help. 
the worst thing you can do is just to say, well, my, my situation is not that bad. If you need to talk, please talk. Paul, you want to come up and say some final words? Thank you, Dr. Avert. That was awesome. Um, I, won't, I won't go any longer, but uh, as pastors, we typically don't seek out help. We're always pouring out to people and not receiving, and we got to sit in a debriefing last night that was so meaningful um, for us all. So uh, I would just second uh, what he's saying is to, is to, to get help and to, to talk to people. Let me pray for you. Um, if you can, be sensitive as we uh, get up and exit, um, as the counselors might have an opportunity to, to meet with some people. Um, but please stick around and have some of the snacks. And, you know, you might find some like-minded people here that you would, eat, would even want to sit and talk with. Uh, maybe some of your neighbors, or I know that there are some neighbors here because I have... I know your neighbors, so um, let me just pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for Dr. Averett. I just ask you, Lord, that you would just continue to help him and strengthen him to help our community, to help the hospital, to help the police officers. Father God, I just pray for the healing process of our town to, to start and to continue. Um, God, you're a restore, and I just uh, we just ask for your uh, restoring help. Holy Spirit, just move in our hearts, just send the right people to our families to be able to have these interactions. Lord, I just pray for the community's churches. Um, Father God, just help these families to rebuild. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.